do not stop writing. Do not push writing away because you don't feel good enough, because you think you don't deserve it, because you think other people are better than you. You know, just write for you, because the longer you push your writing away, the more you will regret it. This is the Writer's Mindset Podcast. Formerly called the Writer's Cookbook Podcast. With me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Wirtz. We're here to inspire and motivate you to overcome the roadblocks holding you back in your writing career. With some tough love, some hard truths and serious reality checks. Let's get started. Shout out to our new patrons, Alexa Whitewolf, Stuart Page, and Bill Lowe. You can support The Writer's Mindset over on Patreon for less than your favourite coffee a month. If you join our community, you'll get access to bonus episodes, exclusive discounts, and much more. And we'll be eternally grateful for your support. Yes, as will Frankie and Millie for the extra pet treats we'll be able to get for them. To join our community, visit writerscookbook.com forward slash support. So how's your writing been going this week then? There have been new words on the page, that's for sure. Uh, (laughs) I've been in a kind of uh, quandary because I have my Alex Warrington stuff, the urban fantasy that I really want to work on and I'm really excited about and I keep going on and on about. But I have realised that I need to be responsible and make sure I'm working on my dissertation, which, as you know, I'm taking the musical Blood Brothers and I'm changing it into a novel. So it's and modernizing it. So it's it's interesting, but I don't love it as much as I love my uh, Alex Warrington stuff. So it's a little bit harder to work on. I totally get that. Like sometimes you've got to make a choice between kind of desire and duty, if you will. Exactly. And that's the that's what I've come to this week. Begrudgingly and with a little <laughs> bit of kick from my writing friends just to make me see the light. But I mean, it's good. I do like the story. I like where it's going. And it's just that little bit harder to get the words on the page because I don't love it quite as much. Yeah, but at least like you're going through this journey of writing something still and you've got a hard deadline for it, right? So then... Oh, yes. Oh, there's a (laughs) deadline. (laughs) That allows you to have an end point in sight, but also it gives you much more time to plan Alex Warrington. So once you do have the time to write it, you're going to write like, I can't even think of a good analogy right now, like a leopard or something. You're going to be so fast to write it because you're going to have such a good plan because you've had all this time to really think through the story. I'm going to be writing it like Roadrunner. That's what I'm going to be doing. I like that. I like that Just image. Meep, meep. Words, 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 words. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But I think in a way, once I've finished my other assignment and I finished this dissertation, it's going to feel like a reward getting to just play with this new whole new world that I'm slowly sort of adding bricks to on the side just to be able to jump in and uh, just have some fun with it I guess that's what I'm looking forward to that's my big payoff at the end (laughs) I really like that using writing as a reward for doing other forms of writing I think it's actually really good motivational tool I mean there'll be cookies too um (laughs) maybe some of the vegan chocolate we've been trying as well yes definitely I would recommend (laughs) 
I get the impression, I know you've posted some things this week about not feeling quite 100%. Has your writing taken a little bit of a hit this week? And rightly so. Has it taken a little bit of a hit? A little bit would be an understatement. (laughs) I have written less than 2,000 words this week, and usually I aim for 3,000 words a day. But with good reason. Well, yeah, I had an asthma attack on Monday, and the doctor put me on some steroids. And it's like the second time I've ever been on steroids for my asthma ever, and I've been asthmatic for like 26 odd years now. Oh, wow. Welcome to the steroids crew. It's not fun. I know. You won't no, enjoy it's not. it. It's racking me. My skin is knackered, and I have got so little energy. Like It's like fibro and chronic fatigue syndrome, but for want of a better way of putting it on steroids. <laughs> Well, that makes sense now. Yeah. I see where this saying comes from. <laughs> I, I know what to do when it is caused by fibro and CFS. I have the coping mechanisms. But when I know it's a side effect of medication, those coping mechanisms don't work so well. No, I suppose not. But equally, the steroids are doing you some good because you need them right now. Well, yeah, exactly. I can breathe again and I will take the side effects for five days if it means I can breathe again because I quite like breathing. I'm not going to lie. But breathing me, is surprisingly important. <laughs> it is, funnily enough. It is. Yeah. I mean, the hardest thing aside from the lack of energy was the fact that it's given me the brain fog back but it's a different kind of brain fog to what I normally get because with fiber and CFS it's like I'm driving through fog and the answer I need is on the other side of the fog but I can't see the end of the fog right Mm -hmm. with this it is like I am banging my head repeatedly against a brick wall and the answer is on the other side of that brick wall but it's a lot harder yeah you can't really just very difficult to get through a brick wall simply by banging your head on it (laughs) yeah which probably is why I end up with eye strain and headaches as well Mm. so I've been sending you very strict instructions to get lots of rest And to be fair, it's not like I have the energy to do anything else at the moment. You know, I've managed to get some client work done this week, but I pretty much reserved all of my energy for the client work. So I did that. And then pretty much the rest of the time I've been like reading magazines because I didn't have the attention span to read a book and curled up on the sofa with Millie, who is quite a good nurse when she's not sitting on your lungs. Nurse Westy is adorable. Can I get her one of those little old fashioned nurse hats? She doesn't, she doesn't wear hats. She'd probably wear like a dress or a jacket if you got it. She wouldn't wear the hat. She tries to shake them off, but that would look let, adorable. Let me see what I can find online. <laughs> she she has this habit of like finding the place that is the most painful and then sitting on it. So like if you've just finished eat, eating a really big meal or if you really need to pee or something, she will sit on your stomach. That's quite the skill. Yeah. Or if you, you know, have had an asthma attack and your lung capacity is diminished, she will sit on your lungs and it's like, no, and you try and move her off and she becomes like this lead weight. And for an eight kilo dog, she's remarkably hard to move if she doesn't want to move. She's trying to remind you, stay here, mother. It's time to rest. While suffocating me. I mean, the ends justify the means, right? (laughs) Not if she suffocates me before the steroids work. Or in general, actually, any kind of suffocation by Westie is bad. It is bad. It is bad. The rest is important. This is what we're talking about. Well, it kind of leads on what we're talking about today. It does. Because today we are talking about writing through depression. That was a bad segue, but a segue nonetheless. We have some experiences ourselves with depression and we know a lot of writers have issues with depression. For instance, on mentalhealth.org.uk, they have outlined some stats that say in 2014, 19.7% of people in the UK aged 16 and over 
showed symptoms of anxiety or depression, which was an increase from the year before and was higher amongst females than males. It's actually 22.5% in women. I'd really be intrigued to see how the pandemic's affected that. It would have definitely had an impact, I think. Yeah, I don't think there are stats about it yet. The other thing to remember is, I know 2014 doesn't sound that long ago, but it's still seven years. And I think the conversation around depression has opened up a lot more and become a lot less stigmatized in the last seven years, even even in the last five or four years. I mean, we're mm-hmm. constantly getting better at these kind of things. True. In 2013, this is mentalhealth.org.uk again, depression was the second leading cause of years lived with a disability worldwide, uh, second only to lower back pain. And in 26 countries, depression was the primary driver of disability. That's mad. That's fucking mad. It's it's a hell of a thing. And it's starting to be taken more seriously, which is the main thing. Depression is actually the predominant mental health problem worldwide, followed by anxiety, schizophrenia, and bipolar disorder. There is also a little article on the Guardian website about uh, how much more prone to depression writers are. They mentioned the writers including Virginia Woolf, Sylvia Platt, Ernest Hemingway, and Sexton and Arthur Postler, all big writers, actually died from suicide. It is a big, big problem. And they reference a man called Simon Brett, who talks about some of the reasons behind it. You know, writers spend so many hours sat on their own, on their laptops, or maybe with a pen and pad. And spending that much time alone can worsen it and make your depression worse. So whilst writing is incredibly good for you, most writers I know that feel the need to write feel worse when they can't, you are constantly looking inwards and when writing and when creating characters, that level of self-examination can, of course, lead to self-doubt. It can be a vicious cycle. He also worries about the fact that a lot of writers are introverted and they're quite quiet people. Would you say your experience of writing so far has been anything like that? Oh, definitely. I mean, it feels like a little bit of a catch-22 sometimes because you need to be on your own to write, but if you spend too much time in your own head, then I think you end up getting more depressed and more caught up in that kind of cycle of self-hatred and sometimes anxiety as well definitely it's it it can be well i mean everyone's different i will say that some people need that time alone i know i certainly need that time alone sometimes but there are downsides definitely yeah when i first moved to nottingham i had a lot of time on my own because i only knew my boyfriend here didn't have any other friends here and he was working like 12 14 18 hour days so i was on my own in this new place and I didn't know anyone, didn't know where to go, didn't know about the local writing community, didn't have the confidence to go out and do things on my own. So my anxiety got a lot, lot worse. My depression got a lot worse. And I very rarely did any writing. Most days I would stay in bed maybe until like three o'clock in the afternoon and I would get up and shower and be just about looking human by the time my boyfriend got home from work. Even though I'd been at home all day, I hadn't done anything around the house. I hadn't put dinner on. I make myself sound like a housewife, but I wasn't doing anything useful or productive for him or for me or for our relationship, for our house. You know, I was literally spending all day watching Netflix or staying up late at night talking to my friends in Australia, you know, just to feel connected to someone. 
Mm, yeah, that sounds horrible. I mean, being isolated like that is not fun. Yeah, and it's um, like a lot of it was kind of of my own making because I could have put myself out there and met people sooner. But, you know, I was in this black hole and I couldn't see a way out. So what was it that changed then? Was there a catalyst to sort of turning it around for yourself? I think for me, the really main thing that turned it around was when I did the MA, the one that you're doing now. And, you know, uh, I finally did stuff outside of my comfort zone. I felt productive again. I was working towards something. I made some really good friends that I'm still friends with now. And as part of that, we put together an anthology. And that anthology really gave me a taste for publishing. And it renewed my love of public speaking. And when it kind of came to its natural end of like promoting it and selling all the copies that we'd got, I didn't want it to end. After I did the MA, I already had this idea that I wanted to publish. People have been saying to me for years, publish it, publish it, more people will want to read it. I kind of had this internal war of, you know, people were asking it of me. And I knew deep down that it was the idea I wanted to release first. But my self-doubt was going, it's not good enough, it's not good enough. And I had to kind of work out where the line was of me being too harsh on myself and being objective about my own ideas. It's hard when you're in a particularly depressive period I know I myself definitely struggle from that self-doubt that that voice in the back of your head telling you it's not good enough or it it isn't right or it's never gonna be or you can't do it it's hard yeah and so it was a bit of a rough year for me after the MA uh my nan had a stroke and needed major surgery and that you know it was a bit of a reminder for me that life is short and so I set myself a deadline that I would write edit and publish what happens in New York in a year so I did it all whilst working full-time and moving house. Which is a, a hell of a feat, I must say. <laughs> Thank you. I, I will tell you one thing that really helped. When we first moved into this place, we had no TV and we had no internet. So my two biggest di- sources of distraction were completely gone. I could have like kept putting in castle DVDs into the PlayStation <laughs> to watch them, but I was too lazy to get up every four episodes and keep changing things. So I was. it felt like I was out of excuses to not write it took away all of those excuses because I literally had nothing else except work and who wants to come home from work and think about work unless you're a massive workaholic no not me (laughs) exactly I remember like sitting on the floor of our flat the day we moved out downloading Scrivener onto my laptop begging the internet to do it quickly enough while my boyfriend finished packing things up and then (laughs) I got into a habit of writing a thousand words a day and I really developed this tunnel vision that I was going to do this and I was going to release the book on the 26th of May 2016 and I did And everyone was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And trying to like give me a round of applause and pat me on the back. And my depression actually got worse after I published it. It got worse. That's so interesting. Why do you think, what was it that made your depression go downhill after you finally achieved what you were working towards? It's a really hard thing to explain, but publishing your first book is a massive anticlimax because you psych yourself up and you build it up and you hype yourself up and you think like there's this massive misconception that it's the be all and end all and your life's going to change when you publish this one book, but it never happens the way that you think it will. It becomes a bit of a grieving period because you spent so long working on this project. For me, it was a case of uh, eight years I've been working on this one book. Wow, eight years. (laughs) Yeah, so I was like trying to let go of something I'd been holding on to for a long time and releasing it into the world. And it was scary unleashing it onto the world and not knowing what other people were going to say, how they were going to respond and stuff. But also because it was my first book and there was no point me doing much marketing and I didn't really know how to market it, there wasn't that much uptake. I did get downloads. I didn't get Mm -hmm. enough to really change my life. There were some months I didn't get any downloads and things didn't really pick up until a few years later. 
which is normal. I think it's important for people to know that's normal. Yeah, totally. It? But obviously that didn't stop you writing, did it? No, well, I mean, I kind of took a bit of a break and I slowed down working on what happens in London a little bit. And I've talked in the past about when I tried to do NaNoWriMo, I did a romance and crime novel and I nearly quit writing altogether because of that. You know, I spent some time after that to focus on my marketing skills instead. And if I hadn't taken that time to focus on my marketing skills, I don't think I'd be here now. I think I would be doing some very, very different things. That's interesting that marketing was the thing that brought you back. Why do you think it was that that was the uh, the catalyst? Well, it was something that I needed anyway to improve as a writer, but it was detached enough that I wasn't thinking about my characters and stories and stuff. And also it helped with my day job and it helped with the writer's cookbook and it was all transferable skills for my book as well. So it wasn't like I was abandoning it. I was building on stuff that I needed to know to make what I my lifelong goal a success. That's good. So marketing help to uh, pull you back to writing, so to speak? I don't think it did it directly, but it allowed me to keep one foot in the door and not abandon it completely. With NaNoWriMo, it was just a case of I was trying too hard to fit someone else's mold, someone else's idea of how a story should be told and where it should be written, when it should be written. You know, It's not that I can't write a book in a month, I can write a book in a week. The problem was, because I was doing it under someone else's restrictions, not my own it ended up becoming counterproductive because like I was trying to prove something but I'm not sure what I was trying to prove or to who are you suggesting that you don't like being told what to do Christina because that doesn't sound like you at all I would never imply that at all I don't know what you're talking about you are your own woman and I love that about you <laughs> aside you. from the uh, restrictions and dictatorship of NaNoWriMo then uh, deadlines in a way can be good I think they can keep us focused right oh totally I think there's a lot to be said about them like that 26th of May deadline that I set myself really helped to keep me on track for working on what happens in New York but they have to be internal deadlines that you set yourself that other people hold you accountable for rather than someone dictating them to you and saying you've got to do it for x y and z because if you've got no internal motivation no i hate this phrase but i can't think of a way, better way of putting it no skin in the game then you are less motivated to work towards that goal of course you can't just be told you need to do something you need to know the why as well you need to have your own why and your own reasons for you need to care to about it yeah you need to give a crap <laughs> yeah so let's fast forward then to 2019 Tell me a little bit more about what happened then, because I know it wasn't a good, well, it was a good and bad year for you. It was the weirdest year, honestly, <laughs> because in the February of 2019, my nan passed away. At the time when she had passed away, I had big plans that year. I wanted to publish four or five books that year, and I had a couple almost ready to go. And, you know, I kind of had this internal, internal dilemma. Do I just stop? because I'm grieving or do I channel this grief into doing something productive and I just got my nan's voice in my head going you absolute ninny just get on with it I love that I love that you know she would be calling you a ninny <laughs> it would either be a ninny or a nana she didn't say banana she said nana that's adorable and she would have done she'd be like I'm not worth all this first do what you need to do for you and so I kept going so it was obviously helpful to think of her like that then to think of her telling you to get on with it yeah, I mean, this is the woman who threatened to kick me out of the front door and lock it behind me when I wouldn't leave the house once. So, yeah, it was kind of like an internal version of that almost. I like it. So, in a way, you kind of, you know, for want of a better phrase, channeled your grief 
That's exactly what I did. All this kind of pent-up emotion that was floating around in my head, I really put into my books. Like in some cases, literally, you know, in What Happens in Paphos, Holly deals with her own grief. And I really projected onto my character in that. Um, but it was also, and there was two sides to it because I was grieving from Nan, but also when I finished Paphos, I was actually grieving finishing this series that by that point I'd been working on for 11 years. So I was saying goodbye to characters that I knew wow. as well as I knew myself and Nan. It's a huge achievement to finish the series. It must have felt like a, a weight off, I guess, in a way, but also like a big loss. Yeah, it was It was one of those things, like, obviously, because I've been working on it for so long, I was ready to move on. Not, like, because I didn't love the characters or anything, but just because, you know, it does get to a point where sometimes you've either outgrown something or you want to try something different. It's like when you wear the same item of clothing every day, you eventually get bored of it, right? Um, sure, yeah, let's pretend I'm not wearing the same t-shirt that I've had for years. Okay, maybe that's a bad example. But, you know, you get bored of things if you do the same thing over and over. If you're stuck in the you same do. world all the time, it's why people like to travel. It's why people get stare crazy. Was the end, well, was finishing the end of What Happens in Paphos as hard-hitting as finishing What Happens in New York for that first time? Was the, was the experience similar? Actually, no, because by that point I had published five books in that series and I think two non-fiction books and then one spin-off. So I was more prepared for it. So it didn't get to me as much. And also I pretty much went straight from finishing what happens in Paphos to writing Hollywood Gossip, which is the spin-off series I'm working on now. You know, I had that time, but I was so ready to move on and really prioritize my writing career that I didn't have that need almost to grieve as much. Like the process mm. sped up a little bit because I'd been through it so many times. Then like not long after I finished what happens in Paphos, my fibromyalgia fled up. So again, I didn't even have the brain space to really dwell on <laughs> stuff like that I guess then when you were writing what happens in Paphos and channeling that grief it was almost like a, a very elaborate expressive writing exercise it wasn't consciously a, an expressive writing exercise but I think it in a way it probably was and you know I it definitely helped me deal with what I was going through because a lot of the anger I was ruminating on I really channeled into what Holly was going through did you do anything to help with your depression during that time obviously there was a lot going on you were grieving your nan you were uh, feeling the pressure of finishing the series I imagine there's a lot of things there that could have triggered your depression were you doing anything to try and help with that at the time not really no um my main focus at the time was my fibro flare-up because I was just in so much pain and that it was really hard to function. And I was so tired. I was falling asleep on the sofa when I'd done nothing all day. But, you know, I found a treatment program for my chronic pain. And that also helped with my mental health conditions. And that's how I found expressive writing. Expressive writing really showed me the extent to which we as humans bottle things up. Because, holy shit, we bottle up a lot and don't know we're doing it. We do. Sometimes we do know we're doing it as well. That's the issue. But yes, we bottle a lot of stuff up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if you were to meet one of our lovely listeners here today and they were saying that they were feeling depressed, what would be your advice to them? I would say really go easy on yourself. And something I have noticed is that healing is not a linear process. To tie it back into my asthma that we mentioned at the start, my peak flow, which measures my lung capacity, basically, has been going up and down over the last few days. And it's kind of 
on if you look at it on the individual picture it's not that nice to see but if you look at the bigger picture it is an upward curve but it is a slow upward curve and healing from any sort of mental health condition is the exact same thing some days you are going to have a greater tolerance a greater capacity you're going to feel more comfortable being kind to yourself but being kind to yourself is really really important whether it is going for a bath and reading a book whether it's lighting a candle and with a smell that makes you happy whether it's getting some fresh air when you take the dog for a walk baking your favorite cake or taking that time to cook your favorite meal whatever it is those small gestures of kindness towards yourself make a really big difference because it shows you that you value you i like that that's such a lovely way of looking at it thank you the other thing i think i would say is to not hide from the people and things that you love. I know that when I first moved to Nottingham and I was feeling shitty, I didn't really write. And when I did write, there was a 90% chance I wouldn't save it. I would immediately dismiss it as being shite. I really pushed away that thing that actually could have helped me. And I think that's why I was so keen to call this episode Writing Through Depression, because it is all too easy to push writing away when you feel depressed but if you really channel that depressive energy into your writing what you write can be very very powerful definitely i i am terrible for shutting myself off when i'm feeling particularly shitty and over the last few months i found trying to talk about it more and trying to be a little more open with the ones that i trust has been wildly beneficial i can't even tell you how much it helps so i was scary it is scary and it's when you've dealt with it for so long, when the only way you've been able to deal with it is by burying your head in the sand, that's what you're used to. That's that's your coping mechanism to get through, or at least it is for me. And so learning to be a bit more open about it, learning, you know, finding someone that you do trust and learning to open up to them, even if it's just even just for a small thing saying, I'm feeling particularly rubbish today. My depression is kicking my ass. And the other person just says, that's really shit. I'm sorry to hear that. Let me know what you need. Just just having that very small thing can make the world of difference. Um, and it yeah. goes anywhere from that to literally pouring your heart out, which sometimes helps too. It depends what you need and where you're at. But that yeah. is invaluable. If you've got friends that you can do that with, do not take them for granted. No, definitely. And you know, it, I think there's a lot to be said for friends who are just there to listen as well. Absolutely. You don't need a, some friends, some people anyway. When you tell them something, they'll try and fix it. You can't fix depression like that. It's not a quick fix. No, I mean, I will right, put I my hand up. I'm, I'm a fixer and I'm really bad for trying to fix things all the time. <laughs> something I'm really trying to work on is not reacting and just letting people tell me what they need and get it out of whatever they're feeling out of their system and then I can be like what do you need from me and maybe they say I just needed someone to listen thank you or maybe they're like I need you to bake me a cake you know whatever it is it can heal all that's what I'm saying exactly <laughs> and Starbucks right? good we can't have more Starbucks soon soon no yes worries. soon so what would you say not to do then to anyone who is feeling rather rubbish what would they be best to avoid don't stop writing i i beg you do not stop writing do not push writing away because you don't feel good enough because you think you don't deserve it because you think other people are better than you you know just write for you because the longer you push your writing away the more you will regret it and the more you will feed that self-hatred as well because that's 
what depression wants it is like a parasite eating into your willpower and your confidence and your life in general and so by pushing away the people and things you love even though it is easier to do it you just let it win and unfortunately you know the best way to deal with depression is to fight it and maybe you fight it by medication maybe you fight it through therapy maybe you find ways to deal with it yourself by expressive writing or meditation or beating the shit out of an animal object in a safe place (laughs) whatever it is you need some sort of outlet for that pain that you are in because there is always a reason you are in that pain whether it is a reason from recent times or it's a reason from 20 years ago depression doesn't care it will come and hit you in the face whenever it wants to it doesn't need a trigger that is immediate it could be a trigger from when you were three years old and you don't realize it because it's been suppressed so hard. So finding an outlet for it, like through the many, many ways you just mentioned, it stops you bottling it up, which is going to be more damaging to yourself in the long run. Exactly. If we are feeling that low and if we have no energy and no willpower, how are we supposed to write? Don't make it really big and terrifying and give yourself something lofty to do. Don't assume that you're going to write the next great British, American, Australian, whatever your country is novel. Just, you know, say, I am going to write a few sentences on this page. Five minutes is fine. Writing shit is fine. Treating it like a diary entry, a news article, write from the point of view of your dog, whatever it is, just write something. Just get out of your own head or get what is in your head out of it. Whatever you need to do to feel productive Mm -hmm. and to feel a release. I suppose even if you end up writing two sentences and it's just about a silly cat, it's still writing. And the next day when you come to it again, at least you did those two sentences, you know? And you're going to feel in a stronger position. Even if it's only like 1% stronger, you will feel stronger. One of our friends, um, Gareth Baker, refers to it as the writer's gym. And the more you exercise at the gym, the stronger your writing muscles get. And this is 100% true. Like even I found if I go long periods of time without writing stuff and I'm editing for absolutely ages, there are some days that I will then only be able to write like 200 words because I'm so not used to writing anymore. But then after a little bit of practice, I can go up and I can write 5,000 plus words in a day because I've rebuilt those muscles. It's no different than if you are, you know, actually trying to exercise and you've got to start slowly, maybe by doing some stretches, maybe with a lighter weight, maybe by not running as fast. And the more you do it, the heavier the weights you can lift and the faster you can run. But it does take time. And instead of focusing on those big lofty goals, it's much easier to go, okay, Today, I am just going to do this really short thing and I'm just going to do it for me. Absolutely. One of the things we started doing is our little word count tracker. I wouldn't, I don't know if it's for everyone to track the amount of words they do every day, but we found it beneficial. And what I've noticed with my words is once I started, you know, making sure I was doing something every day, the first couple of days I did like two or 300 words or three or 400 words. But at the end of last week, I think I did 1700 words one day. And That's just over, like, I think it was over a week or so. Just stretching those muscles again made it easier for me to start writing more words again. You know, just picking up the weights again, so to speak, the metaphorical weights. My brain went, oh, wait, I know how to do this. Oh, wait, I really like doing this. Let's do more of this. Yeah, and (laughs) I think... able to get more done. Yeah, having it tracked in Scrivener I find helpful, but there is something to be said for actively tracking it in a spreadsheet as well. It's not just the accountability, Mm. although I find like sharing my word count with you really helpful, but I think actively writing it down and seeing the stats of like what your word per hour is, for example, and watching that increase over time, I think that really helps 
because mm. it's a lot more active than if you're just passively checking your Scrivener stats every day. Yeah, and I, uh, I think it's separate as well because you might not always write in Scrivener. You might write in different places. You might write some stuff in Word. You might write some stuff in a Google Doc. There's, there's plenty of things to consider and having it all tracked in one place is uh, very beneficial so far. Mm, I think all this mental health talk leads nicely onto our book of the week discussion, don't you? Book of the week! <laughs> so my book of the week this week is Queenie by Candice Carty Williams and I finished this recently and it was just honestly the way she describes mental health issues it spoke to me on such a deep level probably more than anything else I've ever read because wow, that sounds uh, interesting. The, yeah without I don't want to go into too much details because I'll spoil it but there's just this scene where she talks about how she feels and it's like a page of her talking about her mental health issues and it was just one of those holy shit moments you know when something's just so powerful and you just need to pause for a minute and process Mm. it it's funny because like everyone's experiences and mental health conditions are different but sometimes you find a writer who expresses it in such a personal yet universal way that it is a real mic drop moment and you almost Mm. want to bow down to that writer for how bloody good it is yeah, the universal universality of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to nail, and it's definitely a sign of a very good writer, in my opinion, who can nail something so vastly unique in a way that so many people can relate to. That's fantastic. My book of the week is also pretty epic, but in a completely different way. What is it? And not quite as on topic. My book <laughs> of the week is "On This Day She" by Tanya Hirschman. Elsa Holland and Joe Bell. The book is designed to showcase some of the wonderful women who have done fantastic things throughout history, but got overlooked because history was traditionally written by men and only really focused on men. The book, by, by no means, does the book hate men at all. I don't want to, <laughs> I think that came across wrong, but the book takes each day of the year and details something that a particular cool woman did something cool on on that day. Um, that sounds really inspiring. It is actually, and it's it's interesting to go through. And they might seem like small things on the in the grand scheme of the world, but these women help change the world and, and frame it and build it into the way the world we've got now. So small changes can make big differences. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Thanks for joining us. If something we have said has resonated with you, don't feel alone in your thoughts or questions. Come hang out in our free Facebook group. It's a safe place to talk all things writing, mental health, and publishing. You can check it out at writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. And if you want to hear more from us, don't forget to tap that shiny, shiny subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. To support the podcast's future so that we can help more writers overcome their creative roadblocks and achieve, or even exceed their writing goals, you can support us on Patreon for less than a coffee a month. And for that total bargain price, you'll get to request podcast topics and submit your book of the week, nab exclusive discounts on writing courses, and get to listen to bonus episodes. Visit writerscookbook.com forward slash support if you want to find out more. See you next time.